We are in the book of Galatians and many other places. And we're learning about the fruit of the Spirit in the big picture here. Let's go big picture. Can we zoom out for a sec? God's mission in the world has been, since the beginning, to fill the world up with his presence. And his plan to do that was to make little image bearers, little mini-me's of God, who would go throughout the planet and act like him and be like him and to make his creation experience him through their work. And that's right from Genesis chapter 1 where God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the world and have dominion over everything I've made. The point wasn't just for them to God the world into their own personal Disneyland. Their job was to be God in the flesh, a little tiny version, a mini-me version of God and to make more of themselves so that when they were done, All of creation got to experience God through the activities of people. But right at the beginning, Satan came in and tempted them and twisted their minds and twisted their hearts and got them to, instead of wanting to be joyful, happy servants of God, to try to be God themselves and to be in competition with God and to make the world a place where humanity battled against God under the direction of Satan instead of humanity working for God in the eternal life and joy of being made in his image. That was what happened. And the rest of the biblical story up to the coming of Jesus is God working to restore his image in mankind and to restore what was lost in the world. And he picked people along the way and made covenants with them so that they would be his servants and that he could work through them and in them and with them in order to establish a kingdom on the earth. He picked Noah and that worked for a while until he made a vineyard and he picked Abraham and had a bunch of kids through Abraham even though his wife was barren. And that kind of worked for a while, especially through Joseph, even though all the other kids were murdering monsters. And but they got redeemed somewhat. And then he was working through the nation of Israel, but they kept going back and forth through idolatry and faithfulness. And then he was working through David. That's the high point of the kingdom. But even David fell with Bathsheba. And everything was kind of a little bit of good and a lot of bad and a little bit of good and a lot of bad. As God was working to try to build his kingdom, a people just like him on the earth, extending the knowledge of God through their activity of God-likeness in the world. And because we did such a bad job of it, even the best of us, God eventually came himself in the flesh, in the person of his son, the first true God-man who exactly represented the Father to the world. So that Jesus could say and did say to his disciples on the eve of his death, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember one of the disciples says to him, Jesus, show us the Father. And he says, have you been with me so long you still don't get it? When you look at me, you see the Father in the flesh with the beard and the hair and all the eyeballs and the cheeks and the lips and all this stuff. When you're looking at Jesus, you are seeing God with skin on. 
And aside from living for eternity, that was meant to be our destiny from the beginning so that all of us could say, this is what God is like. But we became corrupted. We became fallen. We became sinful. We became people with minds and hearts that are bent towards unbelief and bent towards evil and bent towards doing what God's enemy wants instead of what God wants. And this is the tragedy of human history is that except except for those few thousands of people who saw Jesus with their eyes, nobody has actually seen a sinless person even though we were all meant to be like that. Have you ever thought about that? You've never seen a person as they were meant to be. And except for Jesus and the people who got to lay eyes on him, nobody has seen a human being the way they were meant to be. Praise be to God. When Jesus returns, he's going to come back. He's going to give us this resurrection body that is as sinless as ours are sinful and is as good at being perfect and living forever as our bodies are good at getting old and wearing out and dying of things like COVID. Praise be to God. Someday, not too long from now, we are going to get to be who we were always meant to be. When Jesus returns and gives us our new bodies and we're sinless. And then everybody will look just like God. Little versions. That's our destiny and that's our hope. I've been thinking about, this isn't even the message yet. I've been thinking about, you know, people are really big on identity these days. Have have anybody heard about this stuff? And one of the crazy things about Christians is that we don't even know who we are yet. In Colossians, Paul says, when Christ, who is our life's return, then we will be revealed in glory with him. That's our true selves. That revealed in glory self is who we are. But we can't see it yet because Jesus hasn't returned to glorify us yet. So we all have to wait. It's going to be a wonderful day to find out who you guys really are. Glorified beings shining like the sun with Christ. I kind of know who you are now, you know. You've got habits and ticks and things you like to eat and football teams you support. Now, that's great. But I don't even know who Rob Belfort is yet. Only God knows. But I'll see it when Christ returns. Anyhow, in the meantime, when Jesus rose from the grave, he went back up to heaven and he said, You guys have a mission to show the world my Father. To extend my kingdom through preaching the gospel, through telling people that everybody who believes in my name is forgiven of all their sins and they are welcomed back to God as beloved children and they get given a purpose and a mission in this life until they die or I return. And you are the church all together and I am going to make this happen. And guess what? 12 disciples or 120 disciples, you all know because you abandoned me when I got arrested. You all know that you can't do this. So I am going to come back in the person of the Holy Spirit, this time invisible, this time with no body. He's going to show up in fire and sometimes as a dove and different things he does to reveal himself. But this time I'm coming back and I'm going to live in you so that the life of God is in you to come out. So that you don't even have to depend on yourself because you know you're a failure. Like, read the Gospels. The disciples are not heroes. Mostly what they did was provide Jesus opportunities to expose how they were thinking wrong or acting wrong. They were great used to the church by how terrible they were. And Jesus says, I'm going to work on this thing where there's nothing in your heart 
that is, can come out to reveal the world who I am by coming and living in your heart. In the Holy Spirit. So that instead of just being you, trying to do your do, now a river of living water can come out of your heart in the Holy Spirit. And so later on, Paul's working with this church, the Galatian church, and they're wanting to come back away from belief in the gospel and full trust in Jesus for their acceptance and love from God and full trust in the Holy Spirit to be the one that transforms them. And they wanted to put their trust in the law, not as a book of faith to teach them to walk with God, but a list of rules that they could do to earn their way with God. And Paul says, you're going to get yourselves killed, in effect. And then he describes, while he's working with them to want them to have their hope in God in them, the Holy Spirit, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And he lives in you, the Spirit of God, to make all these things come out of you. So that you can look like God to someone else. So that they can come to believe in God for themselves. Amen? This is the mission. It was always meant to be God's mini-me's running around the world causing creation to experience God. And this is how he's doing it now. Forgiven many me's. Broken but being restored. Messed up but being made whole with the life of God coming out of them by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the plan. And today we're talking about kindness and goodness. And I'm clumping these two together because they are they're almost the same word. If you look at the first Greek word kindness, it's sometimes translated goodness. But it can also be translated generosity. And if you look at the word goodness there, it's usually translated goodness, but it's also sometimes translated useful. It's our word agathos, which our church administrator is named after. It means good and useful. And kindness means good and generous. And they both have a lot of overlap in what they mean. It means there's something good inside of you that wants to express itself for the improvement of other people's lives. You want to be useful to other people. You want to be generous to other people. You want to use your time, your money, your resources, your heart to make somebody else's life better. And your sufferings and your trials and your perseverance and your endurance you want to use your life to improve the life of someone else that's what kindness and goodness is and goodness talks a bit more about what's going on inside of you and the kindness is somebody experiencing it coming out of you amen one of my first super memorable experiences of church kindness this is after i was a christian for a while my home church in vernon and I don't know why it's super memorable. You guys can all do your psychoanalyzing of me after the message and Enneagram thingamajigger or whatever you want to do. Some people do that. Like, what was that guy thinking? That's what they get from the message. <laughs> What's, what was wrong with this guy? I spent the summers, my second summer, working on a tree farm. It's the kind of tree farm where people put 
tree seeds into little plugs of peat moss and grow the seedlings that reforestation companies will go out into the countryside and replant a forest after it's been harvested. So that was my job. And you just kind of worked all day planting these seeds or cleaning off the styrofoam or sometimes um, pulling out seeds that where there was too many seeds in one of the cavities and you'd be cleaning that out. It was a wonderful job working for a family from church. And one of the ladies there, she also had like a greenhouse that she ran on the side where she grew tomato plants. Lots of these awesome little cherry tomatoes, sun golds. Those are the best. If you ever get a chance to have a sun gold, it's wonderful. Not quite as acidic, pretty sweet still. Oh, man. Anyhow, at the end of the summer, Jackie and I were moving to Vancouver for me to go to school. And just as part of church, the, the, the lady just came and she gave me a gift towards going. She just cut me a check. And I just burst into tears because I think it was like the biggest... It wasn't, it wasn't huge. It wasn't like government COVID huge. But it was like a huge deal to me going to school. And the, one of the things that just hit me was like, I didn't necessarily find this lady to be the most like gushy kind person. She was kind of like tough. She was like Mary Poppins tough. You know what I mean? Like good, but no nonsense. And she'd like taken everything she'd made that summer and just gifted it to us to go. And I just was, just couldn't stop crying because of the kindness of it. Because I knew this person spent all summer selling tomato plants that she'd grown herself, and it was she's just investing it back into us. It was a beautiful picture of kindness. She had taken her time and her energy and her gifts and her capacities, and she made somebody else's life better and easier with her hard work. Just like God does. Just like God never stops working to make his creatures' lives better. He feeds us every day. He makes the sun shine on us. He gives us harvests. He, you know, catastrophes happen, but they happen rarely enough that we still consider them catastrophes and not normal. He, heal, he lets our bodies heal themselves when they're sick or lets people discover more and more medicine so that they can get better from stuff. He, God just doesn't stop caring for his creation to make things better than they could have been. And we still can have so many complaints But when Jesus was on the earth and he looked at the world, he looked at the sun rising every day and he says, he thought, you guys have no idea how little you deserve this. He's so kind. My father's so kind, you guys. Like, you guys get to go and have us get a sunburn today. He's so kind. (laughs) Jesus is probably thinking to himself, guys, I was there in Sodom and Gomorrah. I know what, when people get what they deserve, I know what it looks like. And you guys are just going to get sunshine and you're going to get out there and work on your crops so you have something to eat. Kindness from a good God, from his enemy, is so kind. Greg, you can turn that to a song anytime you want to. That one's for free. There's, I won't even copyright infringe anything. And so this is the... the we got to know that the Holy Spirit's in us for kindness. Now, Jesus really did expect his disciples to want to do kindness. In the Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning, he says to his disciples, You are the light of the world. For a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your 
good works, your acts of kindness, your works flowing from the goodness that God has put into your heart, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And when I read this, I think the whole Sermon on the Mount is actually about explaining how Jesus' disciples can actually do good works. But this is what Jesus wants. This is where we're talking about this whole mandate to be like God in the world. He says, you guys are the light of the world. You guys are the, the, you guys are the street lights of your city who keep this place lit up in the darkness. You guys are the nightlight of the universe that makes things a little less scary in a terrible time. This is you guys. And then when, because it's a metaphor, right? He's not actually inviting us to like surgically implant little LED lights in our faces so that we're the light of the world or to go and, uh, you know, French kiss a nuclear power plant with the hopes that we start glowing in the dark at night or anything like that. He explains specifically, let people see your good works so that they will think your father is amazing. And then he explains how to do this. Figure out how to be angry and not sin. And figure out how to get over your lust. And figure out how to stay married. And figure out how to deal with your enemies. And figure out how to stay generous. Figure out how to be spiritual without trying to be super spiritual. And show off in front of everybody. And figure out how to not stress out about life. So that you can stay on mission. And figure out how you can pray with faith. So you can trust God in everything you need while you're doing good works. I think the Sermon on the Mount is a list of how to do good works. Without killing yourself. We can disagree about that if you want to be wrong. But you can't hear what Jesus says. Let people see your good works so that they will glorify your Father in heaven and then somehow think, I don't have any kind of mission to do good in this world. Because ultimately what that will do is it will rob people from seeing the Father. Amen? that make sense? And now you and I all know how, how bad we are at doing good works for the right reason in the right way. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit in us to be the one who enables us with God's wisdom and God's ways, with good attitudes and good intentions to actually do kindness from the goodness that God puts inside of us by the Holy Spirit. I think we need God's word. I think we need the spirit of God to do good works well. It's so easy to think you're doing good and not do good. Okay, so I'll just pick one. There's tons of stories from the last few weeks where you could just pick them up and and just read about it and think, what were these people thinking when they did this stuff? And the answer is they probably thought they were doing something good, but they didn't know God and they weren't thinking straight and they weren't being obedient to him and it turned out a mess. So here's my latest one. We'll just pick on our friends south of the border. It's hard to live next to the biggest country in the world without getting an inferiority complex. So there you go. So you can psychoanalyze me about this. But latest news stories coming out. You know, they've had a few rounds of this, their stimulus checks heading out. You know, COVID stimulus checks keep the economy going. They've had a few rounds of them. Well, the latest is that they were estimating that somewhere between 10% and 50% of the stimulus checks all went to fraud and organized crime. 
And we are talking somewhere around $400 billion going to fraud and organized crime. People like those Russian hackers that shut down the gas pipes. And those Nigerian guys who are always like saying, this prince and that prince wants to send you money. And those, all those hackers and all those or, uh, like digital crime people, because of how, how much, because they quote unquote wanted to do good and made it so easy to apply for all these dollars, tens if not hundreds of billions of American dollars went to go fund the next generation of hacker crime. What would you do if you got $100 billion from the government and you're a criminal? Wouldn't you reinvest that in your criminal organizations? They literally have enough money now to hire their own armies. And it was in the name of doing good, but it was done poorly and sloppily and open to to being abused. (laughs) Like the next time you get one of those emails, Prince... Schmoogaboogoo wants it, you know. You can just think, this guy's operating on COVID relief funds. And it didn't get to the Americans, who it was supposed to be there for. And when I read about that stuff, you know, apart from whatever, it's sad, it's terrible, but I just think, you need God to do real good. Because otherwise your idea of how you should do good will be corrupted by sin and the actual accomplishment will be destroyed by just the fragility of life. We need God to do real lasting good in this world. I think we'd all totally overestimate how easy it is to do real good. Which brings me to Ephesians chapter 2. Because anytime Christians are talking about good works, our echoes get up, right? Is that what it is? An echo? Your ackles? Is it echo or ackle? Or heckle? Or jekyll? It's an ackle? Your echoes? Like the, the dog, the, the, where your cat, your, you know, you get a little bit like hair standing on end. Why? Because we know as Christians that we are not saved by our good works. Amen? This is why we get a little, especially if you're a bit more, you know, on the reform side or the little bit, someone's already got the blog going, the Pastor Rob is wrong, blog, blog post is coming out. Because our gospel is this, no one can earn Forgiveness from God. In fact, all of us are so corrupted by what happened in those early days. And all of us are so bent towards willful sinning that none of us can save ourselves. And our only hope is that God himself would come and rescue us, not because of any good works, but because of his own mercy and grace. And we'd be rescued by something he did. This is our hope in our gospel. And this is how Paul talks about it. And he says, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, you weren't even sick. It's not even like you were on a respirator. You're not even like you could get the vaccine and get better or get some ivermectin and get recover or whatever it is. You're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. What's the difference between being sick and dead? When you're dead, there's no hope of recovery. That's the difference. Not you are sick in your trespasses, but maybe you'll get better. When you're dead in your trespasses, you have moved beyond hope. You can't fix yourself. You can't kind of be like, I'm dead. Self-CPR. Own breath. (laughs) You're dead. 
And that's what it's a metaphor. But when you're spiritually dead, it means you're beyond your own capacity to rescue yourself. You're hopeless. You need help. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins and whence you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, meaning you're naturally inclined to do what he wants, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived, and the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it's, it's as bad as it could get. Estranged from God, willfully doing Satan's will, and beyond our own ability to do anything about it. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is the big thing he's saying. He's saying, we as Christians know something nobody else can know apart from God telling us the truth, that we're all dead without God. We all deserve to be rejected by God. We all deserve to be treated as as like attackers of God and rejected by Him and punished by Him and under His wrath. But God is so good and He looks on His enemy in love that He raises us up and He forgives us of our sins and He makes us alive with Jesus. The same thing spiritually happened to us that happened physically to Jesus in the grave that God in one moment said, it's time for you to live again. And Jesus breathed again and He came out of the tomb and the stone was rolled away and he walked around and talked to people and sometimes like teleported different places and did all kinds of fun things you can read about at the end of the Gospel of Luke. But he was dead and God made him alive and now he lives forever. And he says the same way you were spiritually dead and you didn't deserve anything but in love God made you alive and now you'll live forever. And spiritually you're seated with Jesus in the throne room of heaven with him right now. And having made you as his greatest workmanship of grace to show off how amazingly kind and love-filled God can be towards his enemy, he's even been so kind as to prepare for you good works to do until you see him face to face. And so that's the relationship between works and works. Works can never save you. But now that you're saved, there's this wonderful gift from God for you to do. So that you can show the world what your generous father is like by doing the good works your God has given for you to do in this life. Amen? That's good news. It just reminds me that, you know, if you're anything like me, you can be kind of sensitive to danger and trouble and traps. But I think every Christian should be able in some way to go, that's terrible. There's a setup for good works somewhere in there. You know what? My roof just caved in. That's terrible. This is a setup for good works somewhere. 
the latest announcements for the thingamajigger of whatever is not my favorite. That's terrible. There must be a setup for good work somewhere in there. Because according to the word of God, the church has good works from the Father that he has prepared for them to do. And our job is to find them and then do them with faith and joy. And one of the ways God reveals our good works that we're meant to do is by sending trouble for us to experience. And then respond to by his power. Amen? No? No? I'm getting no love here, internet, from from the folks here. It's because I'm taking too long. My little red line is getting shorter. I see it. Don't worry, guys. I think one of the reasons why we find good works tough... Besides the whole figuring out, it's not even a theological issue. We do emotionally depend on our productivity sometimes, amen? We do sometimes mentally and emotionally depend on feeling like we're doing something good to feel like God might love us. It it happens. It's really human, but we're like that. I have a good day. Oh, I'm super blessed by the Lord. You know, things worked out well. I had a few good meetings. Thanks, Jesus. You must really... Then I have a bad day. And then you're... Oh, God. Where'd you go all that one? Oh, I'm so... Oh, do you still love me? Anybody? This is normal. And we have the word of God to tell us, no, 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 no. If you are in the kingdom, if you are a son of God, God's love and commitment for you does not change. It's as strong as the heartbeat of the risen Christ. And we have good days and bad days to train us. We have good days and bad days to teach us. We have good days and bad days because we still live in this fallen world and there's just so much fan spinning and so much stuff flying and it's inevitable that we'll be a part of it and impacted by it one way or another. But we do do this. And especially it can be, it's just human when you're in a time where you want to be doing good and want to be Loving people, if something's keeping you from doing that, whether it's sickness or a lockdown or a shutdown or a law, it, it can just drain us. I think, excuse me, one of the things many of us are learning is that just the life we want to live is not just about meeting with people. We long to be useful and to be doing good to people. And we wonder, what's the point of living just trying to watch everything on Netflix. We want to be fruitful. We want to have purpose. We want to feel useful. This is part of what it means to be human. And yet we're meant to not let that feeling get up into heaven and think that that changes how God feels about us. Anyhow, at the same time as all that nonsense, or good sense, or some sense, We can be intimidated at the cost of good works. Anybody? Boy, if this is, if I'm going to tackle this thing, that's a lot of time, money, energy, stress, rejection, objection. Oh man, this is going to be a big deal. And the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians, what was going on there was that there was a drought or a famine that was hitting Jerusalem. 
And the Corinthian church right at the beginning had said, well, we're going we're gonna to take up this big old offering. You know, we're so rich. We're the Corinthians. And Corinth was like the Hollywood of their day where there's just more money than anybody knows how to not sin with. We're going to take up this huge offering. We're gonna... And they're all boasting about it. And then when Paul's about to come and actually collect the offering, um, they hadn't done anything about it. And then he's starting to warn them because he's coming from another church where that neighborhood is not rich and not wealthy. And he's like, you guys are in trouble here because the poor churches have brought in a lot of money. And you guys are a rich church and you haven't done anything. And so you're about to look like idiots. Now, because we've got the letters from the Corinthian churches, they ended up looking like idiots for all of church history because of what they did. And how Paul had to correct them, you know, it's not the same as the Ephesian letter. I can tell you that much uh, incest, you know, and uh, so he's warning them, but he wants to undercut one of their thoughts like, whoa, if I'm really generous here, then I'm going to lose out in the end. Doing this good work of giving to the Jerusalem church in the midst of their famine is going to cost me too much. And he says this, this is chapter nine, verse six. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, because the cheerful giver is giving by the fruit of the spirit of kindness and goodness. He's happy by the power of God to improve someone else's life by his efforts. And then in verse 8 he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And this is the, the, the factoid he's trying to get them to realize. Whenever Paul puts 17 alls in one sentence, you know he's working on something here. The God you worship will never go broke helping you do the good works he's called you to do. In every way, with all sufficiency, at all times, in every way, he is able to make grace abound to you as you do the good works he's called you to do. Want to hear something funny about being at Calvary Chapel? One of the weird things about leading at Calvary Chapel is the money stays the same. The money always stays the same at Calvary Chapel. We can have building times and not go broke, even though we were supposed to go broke. And we can have COVID times. And like the bank account has been like this the entire time. The bank account's pretty much been like this the entire time I've been on staff. Some people, you know, you think as as a church you should have like giving times that are great and then giving times that are bad. And maybe we have that. But I've been here for 10 years and the money is like always the same. And we do a lot of stuff and the money's the same. And we do less stuff sometimes. The money's the same. It's been the same the whole time I've been here. The money's been the same. And we've done all different things. And we've added people to the staff. And we've taken on big projects and it's just it's it's so weird it's so weird the money's like this the bank account's always like this no matter what we do and the point is just do everything i tell you to do amen it's so weird greg it's been like this the whole time that's not normal 
our, like, our pay income is more steady than someone who works for the government. It's just like, it's the same. It's so weird. But the point is, I can pay for whatever I call you to do. So have fun doing it as much as you can. Amen? Okay, I'm out. Um, I think of one more verse. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to pause it there. I'm going to be out now. So, church of God, you you exist. Not not that one. So, how come somebody needs to name their church after everybody and then whatever? Calvary Church, Church of the Cross, Church of Skull Hill. Let's have faith that the Holy Spirit is going to constantly be leading us towards goodness and generosity. And that Jesus has the wisdom and the power to accomplish all the good works he wants to do through us. And the Father wants to display his generosity towards us by providing for everything he calls us to do. Amen? Amen? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, here we are. I pray you'd open up this building, Lord. I want there to be people over there and up there and down there and in the offices and over there. Lord, would you bring about the togetherness that's on your heart. But Lord, let it be for good works. The kind where we say, God has done it. We haven't done it. This isn't us. We're saved by grace, but God has done it. But Lord, let there be so many good works. Let us be more and more happy to be generous, Lord. Let us be less concerned about self-preservation and self-concern and more and more excited about doing good in the name of Jesus and making people see the Father with our hands and our lips and our hearts and our legs and our feet and our dollars. And Father, I pray you do this in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, you know in Canada there's been another just event that has caused the name church to look so bad again. And Lord, you're in control of these things. But Father, I pray that Jesus' call for us to make you look great would not be thwarted in our generation. But by the power of the Spirit, you would create more and more willing hearts to be used by you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said...